Hello, good afternoon, happy Saturday, it's June 18th, and this is Talking Sports with Evan. Last week, off, uh, apologize for not having a show last week, but just had a, uh, various reasons why I didn't. Um, last Saturday, I uh, had a celebration of life for my father who passed back in March, and just wasn't really in the headspace last week as I was mentally preparing myself for that event, so... If I couldn't give you the effort that I wanted to for a show, I didn't feel comfortable bringing you uh, energy half-assed. So this week, I feel better. I'm ready to do it. I know, you know, with tomorrow coming up, I'm sure Headspace is going to be sketchy most of this weekend. But right now, good spot, ready to go. And I do want to say thank you to all those who reached out, who attended, um, and who were part of, uh, you know, my father and his celebration of life and the support and uh, everything people gave during his uh, hospitalization before he did eventually pass in March. Um, he went into the hospital back in December of 2021, December 29th of 2021, and March 20th, uh, he ended up uh, passing away. So, um Like I said, I do want to thank everyone that was supportive and there for me during, you know, these times and going to be there for me um, tomorrow as well during, you know, it's going to be a difficult day for my brothers and I. So, but with that said, um, lots to discuss. Last time I talked to you, the NBA finals hadn't started yet. We hadn't even had game one of the NBA finals. And I was talking about Golden State getting the victory, uh, winning the series, and they ended up winning the series. So I want to talk a little bit in the show today about what would have happened if Chris Middleton never got hurt in Chicago. Well, I should say against Chicago. What would have happened if Middleton never hurt his knee? Do we have a Bucks golden State Warriors NBA Finals? And what happens if we did see that? I'm going to talk a little bit about, a little bit about that. Craig Council, finally is the winningest manager in Milwaukee Brewer baseball history. He finally broke it um, this past week against the Mets, a 10-2 victory. And uh, then he had a victory yesterday to improve on it. He has the highest winning percentage in Milwaukee Brewer baseball history for anyone with at least 300 games managed. And he... um, He... um, wins his uh uh and he he is the winningest uh, manager in baseball history apologize for the you know kind of the the delay there i just had um just had an uh, uh breaking news hit um that i was but wasn't expecting and i'll talk a little bit about this later on in the show the brewers have dfa'd designated for assignment lorenzo kane milwaukee reached a mutual decision with the veteran outfielder to part ways with him um which offensively, um, he obviously hasn't been the Lorenzo Cain uh, that we've we've seen in the past. Defensively, he still has. But when you know when the, the the Brewers lineup came out today, I saw center field this Jonathan Davis, and my first reaction was, "Who the f is that?" And now I see why he's starting in center field as Lorenzo Cain has been designated for assignment. So I, I guess um, I'm going to pivot and talk a little bit about that, too, while talking uh, about why talking about um, Craig Council and what he meant to 
and what he's meant to the Milwaukee Brewers since taking over as interim manager initially and then full-time manager. I think it was back in 2015 he took over for Ron Renicki. And talk about why I'm so high on Craig Council. Packer OTAs have come to an end. Now we just wait for training camp. And Vince McMahon, former or temporarily former chairman of the board of WWE, is in some hot water. And I'm going to talk a little bit about that. And I guess the question is, are we really surprised? Like, are we really surprised that Vince McMahon apparently had a three million hush pact um, to keep people silent in NDAs? Um, are we really surprised? So, but I guess with the Lorenzo Cain news, that's perfect to start off with. As um. I'm I'm a little surprised that Lorenzo Cain got released, um, DFA'd. And obviously, it's a mutual agreement between the two teams. And I get Lorenzo Cain has been struggling, but I know today was the big deadline, 10-year service time. That's what he was fighting for. Um, that's what he was working towards, get to that 10-year mark um, in Major League Baseball service time. And I don't know what being DFA DFA today means for that, like because he re- he started the day on the Brewers roster. Does that mean he reached that service time, or what? I don't know. Um, I guess Adam McKelvey is a good person to follow on Twitter to try to figure that out. But you know, I like bringing Lorenzo came back in 2018. He had been he was a huge reason why the Brewers made the NLCS that year, along with Christian Yelich. 2019 with legs that were seem to be ready to fall off. He's a big reason why they made the wild card against Washington. I know in 2020, he sat out after the initial series due, due to COVID concerns. And last year, he was a big reason why they made the playoffs as well. He was a great clubhouse leader. Guys loved him. Great presence. Uh, a pro- ultimate professional. And whatever Lorenzo Cain does here on out, I wish him the best of luck. And I'm going to be rooting for him to to find his success. And he's even said himself, he didn't, you know, he's not a batter that had a natural swing. He had to work his butt off to get the swing that he had. And he uh, unfortunately lost the swing a little bit. And I, I hope he's able to find it wherever he goes from here, either accepting the assignment to Nashville or, um, you know, he ends up, uh, getting claimed off waivers by somebody else. He was a great defensive outfielder. He should have won gold glove prior to 2019. He finally won one in 2019. Should have won one prior to then. And I I thank Lorenzo Cain for his service to Milwaukee. He he brought Milwaukee the pieces they needed to reach the NLCS in 2011 when they brought in Zach, Zach Ranke. He won a World Series in Kansas City. And he was a huge reason why the Milwaukee Brewers went to the NLCS in 2018. So nothing but respect for Lorenzo Cain, to be perfectly honest. I got nothing but respect for him. Um, Craig Council, winningest manager in Brewer history now, um, after winning against the Mets on would have been Wednesday night, beating the Mets 10-2. to um, Scored all 10 runs without getting a home run, so I guess it's kind of fitting that they he gets his um, his victory that he needed to become the winningest manager being the fact that he was not a, a power hitter ever in his career. 
and they get it um, by him not, you know, by them not hitting for power. And the difference in the game, or I should say what broke the game open was I think it was the fourth or fifth inning with two outs. They scored um, seven or eight runs to push it to 10 runs for the Brewers, a 10, 10 to one lead at the time. So they, they played small ball, put the ball in play, kept moving guys around. I think 13 batters, I think, or 12 batters uh, came up to bat that inning and great job by, you know, Brewers and Craig Council. And I know some people love Craig Council. I know some people hate Craig Council. I have a, you know, friend of mine who I'm not going to say hates Craig Council, but he is not a Craig Council fan whatsoever. Um, and him and I argue about Craig Council and his effectiveness as manager and what he actually does and brings to Milwaukee. Craig Council took the job 2015, I want, I think, I, I believe it was, um, when Ron Renicky got terminated um, after a very slow start as manager. Um, yep, 2015, he took over about, a, a, I think, what, a couple weeks into the season. And he's quickly become one of the, you know, what most well-respected managers in all of Major League Baseball. Um, players love playing for Craig Council. I, I don't think you'll find a bad word said by anybody past, present, uh, a pastor, uh, present brewer. Um, anyone that plays for him, anyone that's played for him in the past, I'm sure have nothing but positive things to say for him. I've never heard anything negative said about him by anyone that's ever played um, or coached with him. And he's a great clubhouse guy and he's very steady. He doesn't get overly high on the highs or overly low on the lows. He's a very steady hand. And in baseball, that's what you need. Um, you, you have the Sparky Andersons, the, um, those guys, the screamers and the yellers and the like, try to light a fire under my team kind of guys. But ultimately baseball you got to keep a steady hand. It's a 162 game season. If you dwell too too much on the lows when you're not winning and you have an eight game losing streak and you lose your division lead, um, you're gonna have you're not gonna be able to pull your teams out of it. If you're screaming and yelling at your teams, flipping over tables in the in the in the uh, you know in the in the locker room, throwing bats in the showers and whatnot you're going to lose your team because that's not how you motivate professional athletes nowadays that's not going to work it's not going to work for that long anyways Lou Pinella great manager in his heyday if he was manager today with his fiery style I don't think would be very successful in today's baseball um council again great locker room guy players love him players know they can be themselves in that brewer clubhouse They, um, they don't have to pretend to be somebody they they're not, they can just be themselves. And I think it shows with, with Milwaukee and what Craig Council has built in Milwaukee. And him and David Stearns work great together as they're able to maximize what they have. You know, Stearns is able to, you know, get your your fringe guys like your Rowdy Telez, who didn't look like he was going to be much of a big league player at the Brewers signed him. Um, didn't look like he was going to be much of a contributor. He's become one of the Brewers' best bats in the lineup. His power has gone away recently, but he's been one of the more consistent bats in the lineup. They don't have a lot of money they can spend. They're limited with resources on what the ownership allows them to do. 
and Craig Council and Stearns knows uh, they work well together. And Stearns does a great job getting Council uh, pieces that Council knows that can work with him. And yes, I know the offense has been uh, sputtering. It's come a little bit alive recently, but I know we've had stretches where it sputtered. And that's been the biggest reason, you know, last year they lose to the Braves because the offense disappears. I get that. I understand that. But Craig Council does a great job maximizing his talent and maximizing his uh, players on the field and putting them in best positions to win. Yesterday, perfect example that I know it almost backfired in the bottom of the ninth, but it looked like the eighth inning was it. if, If you got through the eighth inning with your lead, you're likely going to win the game with who the Reds had coming up the bat in the ninth. Put Devin Williams out there in the eighth. Devin Williams has to be the closer now with Josh Hader um, on the paternity list. Congratulations to Hader and his wife on the birth of their child. Devin Williams has to be that ninth inning guy now. But the eighth inning is where the game was going to be won or lost. You had some tough players in the lineup uh, coming up to bat that inning. Had to get through it, and Devin Williams did. And yes, Joey Votto as a pinch hitter nearly made it backfire with one swing of the bat. And you never know when balls go airborne and uh, and Cincinnati Reds uh, ballpark when the ball goes airborne. You never know land. Unfortunately, landed on the edge of the warning track in the glove of Tyrone Taylor. So thankfully, that's where the ball ended up, and not in the seats, not in the stands. So. Council does a great job as manager, and I, he this is you know this time frame in Brewer history is probably the best uh, best time in the history of the Brewers in regards to success. Yes, I know they went to the World Series in '82, unfortunately didn't win it, but they've since 2018 they made the playoffs every year. If they make the playoffs this year, that'll be their fifth playoff appearance in a row. Um, Prior to 2018, prior to Craig Council, the Brewers made the playoffs in 82, 2008, 2011. That was it. Three times in the history of their franchise. And I know 1992 should have been a year they made the playoffs. And if there would have been the wild card back then, they would have been in the playoffs. That was a really uh, good team back in 92 for Milwaukee. Phil Garner was a great manager um, for Milwaukee during that season. But three times prior to Craig Council becoming manager, they made the playoffs. And since Council has become manager uh, in the in the beginning of a rebuild in 2015, now he's made the playoffs four straight years looking for year number five in a row. So... Yes, we want to win the big one. Yes, we want to get to the World Series, win a World Series championship, the first title in Milwaukee Brewer history. We all want that. And we all want our, you know, we all, and we, we've become a society that if, unless your team wins the championship, it's a failed season. But I think the sustained success a small market team like Milwaukee has had since Council took the job, since David Stearns took the GM job. Since Doug Melvin started the rebuild before resigning and giving the job to David Stearns, I think that takes. I think you. I think they deserve a lot more credit than what some people give them because winning in baseball is hard, especially when 
the deck is stacked against you so much when you're coming from a market in Milwaukee because markets like LA, Atlanta, Chicago, New York, Boston, they all have more resources than you're ever going to have to work with. We've seen teams go for it quickly. Cincinnati, for example, who the Brewers are playing now, they throw all the chips in the table during COVID years, spend a lot of money and falter. And now most of those guys, except the couple, are gone. Uh, Florida Marlins, Miami Marlins, whatever, you know, the Miami Marlins now, but the Florida Marlins back in the year they won the World World Series in 2007, sorry, 1997. Um, seemed like eons ago, they threw all their chips in the middle of the table to win the World Series that year after they win it, fire sale. Um, Arizona goes and throws all their chips in the table to win in 2021. Boom, blow it up. 2003, um, uh, Florida Marlins, now the Miami Marlins, same thing. Dupe, throw all the chips in the table to try to win it all. Boom, um, blow it up. And the Brewers have had sustained success making the playoffs year after year after year these past four seasons. This year would be five if the uh, Brewers can make the playoffs. That is a lot of sustained success. And that is something to be proud of. And yes, like I said, we want World Series. But the fact that Milwaukee under council can be competitive and win every year I think is something that deserves um, applause. And we, 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 if you don't win it, we just, we, you know, we, we say it's a failure. So again, congrats to council and the Brewers bats as much, as much as people you don't want to really probably believe it right now are starting to come alive. And a lot of that now is thanks to Christian Yelich since he's been, put in the leadoff hole, we've seen the Christian Yelich of old start to come back again. And I said a couple weeks ago that Yelich is going to be probably a streaky hitter uh, most of the rest of his career. But we've seen the hot Yelich right now, and it's been red hot since he's become the leadoff hitter. In his last um, seven games, he's batting 300 with two home runs, nine hits, two RBIs, and drawing a couple walks. And he's on base percentage of 344. He's getting on base. His on-base percentage is climbing. His OPS is starting to climb. Not where we want it, but I think that's good. Andrew McCutcheon, um, it it took him a little bit after um, dealing with COVID to turn it around, but his last 15 games, he's batting 286, 375, 357, um, with uh, one home run, eight RBI, seven walks. His last seven, he's batting 375 with a 483 on base, 500 slugging. Again, looking great. Hunter Renfro has been on a tear um, recently. Um, Starting to bat, starting to come alive. He's getting on base a lot. Willie Adamas um, coming back slow from injury. He's starting to turn it on a little bit. Roddy Telez doesn't have the power, um, but his batting numbers still pretty good over his last 15 games. He's batting 286. And the Brewers' bats, to me, are starting to come alive a little bit. The pitching now is what needs to really turn things around a little bit. The pitching has been um, struggling a bit. I think that's safe to say, the starting pitching. And probably part of it is is too much pressure on the pitching staff to have to be perfect. Um, When the batters weren't hitting 
on the uh, the eight game losing streak. The offense was awful. I'm not gonna lie. I'm not gonna sit here and lie and say, well, you know, this or that. They were bad. They were bad during the eight game losing streak. Um, other than the uh, double header against the Cubs, the offense has been non-existent, and now they're starting to turn it around a little bit. They lost the game Thursday night against the Mets. They should have won. They won a close game last night with a Keston Hira low, uh, home run in the seventh inning to be the difference in the one-run game. And hopefully the offense can turn it on and dominate here today um, for Milwaukee this afternoon and get this victory for the Brewers. So the offense is starting to come back around. The bats are starting to heat up. Baseball is a sport. You got to be patient. You can't overreact when things are going bad, and you can't overreact when things are going well. That's always been my stance with baseball. And guys are appearing to be more comfortable. Um, uh, their, their plate appearances tend to be going better. They're taking a lot of pitches. They're getting the pitch counts up for these opposing pitchers. So they're throwing a lot of pitches early on. I think Green, I mean, uh, uh, Hunt, uh, the when Renfro for the, I think the, uh, the pitcher for the, the Reds um, yesterday, I think he was at over 90 pitches by the fifth or fifth inning or sixth inning, something like that. Again, you're forcing pitchers to throw a lot of pitches right now, building up their pitch counts. And that's what the Brewers need to do. Because if, if you force pitchers to throw more, pit, more pitches than they want to, you're likely going to ha- make them make a mistake. And that's, uh, that's key in baseball. You got to make them make a mistake in order to, in order to, you know, get those home runs or keep things alive. And the patience have never been the issue for some of the players like Yelich, who takes a lot of pitches, but other guys are now starting to follow suit and take pitches and the Brewers are benefiting from it. So Yelich is flourishing in his leadoff spot. I hope when uh, Colton Wong returns off the IL, I hope they keep um, Yelich in that leadoff spot for now and put Wong uh, someplace else in the lineup. And I, I'm getting confident that the, the offense is going to start rolling for a little bit here. Um, and you got a couple big series coming up with St. Louis coming to town, with the Toronto Blue Jays coming to town. Two teams that are, you know, the, the, the Cardinals are who you have to fight for the division for. And the Blue Jays are a, a offensive power powerhouse. The pitching isn't there. But offensively, they can hit the crap out of the baseball. And the Brewers pitching staff is hurt right now with Woody and uh, Freddie on the IL um, and having to depend on guys like Jason Alexander and Aaron Ashby, who was supposed to be that middle relief guy that did a spot start here and there, but now you have to have him as an everyday starter, every, every five day starter. Um, The pitch the starting pitching and the bullpen struggling for those reasons right now. And this, uh, this weekend, get through the reds, hopefully taking two or three, if not a sweep. And then, like I said, you got the Cardinals and you have the the Blue Jays coming up. So um, with that said, moving on to basketball, the Golden State Warriors are your NBA champions of 2022. The Milwaukee Bucks, unfortunately, are no longer your defending NBA champions, no longer your reigning defending NBA champions. But we're never going to you know, you're never going to take 2021 away from us Bucks fans. Um, but congrats to Golden State. They were the better team against Boston. Um, Boston wasn't ready. They and I, I throw a disclaimer here, not trying to um not trying to take away what Boston did, but Boston benefited from 
the matchups that they had at the time of the matchup. So first round, Brooklyn on paper is the best team in the East with your probably the, one of the best all-around all players in the NBA and Kevin Durant, top five point guard in the league and Kyrie Irving. But they, whatever, they, they I, I don't know what happened with Brooklyn. And I don't think Steve Nash is a good coach. I think he's in a good situation with the talent of having Durant and Kyrie. But I don't understand what's going on in, in, in Brooklyn. And Boston took advantage and swept them out the gym. Milwaukee, you 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 were playing a Milwaukee Bucks team without their second best player. The Milwaukee didn't have their second best player, and other guys had to step into roles that they weren't uh, they weren't best fit for, like Drew Holiday having to be that number two scorer. That's not Drew Holiday's game. Um, guys like Pat Connaughton and those guys having to, and Grayson Allen having to try to give you the production of Chris Middleton. Again, that's not going to happen. And then in the Eastern Conference Finals, Miami, probably one of the more overrated teams in the in the league, in my opinion. Yeah, they're a talented team, but I I didn't I never thought they were the one the best team in the East. Um, they got the one seed, but it doesn't mean they were the best team in the East. And they had injuries too. Um, and it took a Butler probably poor decision three is the reason why Boston got to the NBA Finals and. Golden State was the uh, superior team, and they were healthy. As I said a couple weeks ago, and I previewed the finals, you have a healthy Steph Curry, healthy Klay Thompson, healthy Draymond Green. Wiggins has been playing well. Poole had been playing well, and I felt that I felt that guys like Poole and Looney um, were going to be too good for you know Boston to contend with. There are a lot of different areas. And Boston's a young team with a first-year coach, and they got outplayed and outcoached in the NBA Finals. Milwaukee last year had similar circumstances in the playoffs. They played a undermanned, overrated Miami Heat team in the first round and swept them out of the first round of the playoffs. Um, they they took advantage of having an undermanned Brooklyn team beat them in seven, and they played a similar, you know, Atlanta last. The Atlanta Hawks last year were eerie similar to the Boston Celtics this year. A team that wasn't quite ready for the big, you know, they were a talented team, but not quite ready for prime time. And even with an injured Giannis, the Bucs were able to take it in six. And Bucs would have took it in in four or five if they didn't want to, if they weren't too busy playing with their food in the opening round. I mean, the opening game of that, um, that series against Atlanta. And then you had the Bucks and the Suns, two evenly matched teams on paper, but the Bucks exploited a matchup issue that the Suns had in the middle, and Giannis ate, dominating the NBA Finals. And Giannis's NBA Finals performance last year, it, it doesn't get talked about enough as one of the, the best performances in NBA Finals history. He dominated Phoenix offensively and defensively. They had no answer. And... If I feel, and I got no, I have no way to back it up because it didn't happen. I feel if we have a healthy Milwaukee Bucks, healthy Golden State in the NBA Finals this year, I think we're going to have one of the top NBA Finals series we've had in a very long time. Um, I like the Bucks matchup against Golden State. I 
people have called me a moron or idiot for thinking the Bucks on paper the matchup would be good for Milwaukee. But think, look, look at it. Take a step back. And maybe I'm a homer. Yes, I make excuses for all my teams. I wear my Bucks goggles, my Packer goggles, my Brewer, whatever. And I can't look at things objectively. But I can. But those are things that I've been told. But Golden State would have a similar problem against the Bucks that the Phoenix Suns had last year. Golden State had no matchup for Giannis. Looney can't match up against Giannis. Draymond Green can't match up against Giannis. He's, he's going to bully them or blow by them because they, they can't keep up with his foot speed, and he's too big and physical for them to, to man up against him. They don't have that answer. Brooke Lopez. They don't have a guy that can stop compete with Brooke Lopez on this on this Golden State team. They don't have a good matchup on Chris Middleton. And Drew Holiday, and I, I love Steph Curry. I think he's a great player, great point guard, but he's not a great defender. And I know he played pretty good defense against Boston, but Drew Holiday is a big physical guard, and he would post he would take, you know, Steph Curry or Klay Thompson to the post and probably dominate them in the in the post. I think I honestly think Milwaukee would have beat Golden State if they were healthy and they were in the NBA finals. And hopefully we get to see that happen next year. I would love for a Milwaukee Golden State NBA finals next year to truly see what would happen in a best of seven matchup. But the Bucks defensively, and I know that's what people are going to question where they, they give up a lot of threes. They give up a lot of three-point attempts, but they don't give up a lot of three-point attempts against your guys that can kill you from three. Um, the Basically, it would come down to which pool and which Klay Thompson would show up for the seven-game series. Klay Thompson's been up and down, not been consistent at all, and pool was not that consistent in the finals either. Um, if those guys went off from three, yeah, the Bucks are in trouble. But if they're inconsistent, like they've been all season long in a seven-game series, the Bucks have a great chance of knocking off Golden State. Steph Curry, he's a great player. He's going to get his threes. He's going to get his looks. But the Bucks would be doing what they can to minimize the damage he's going to be doing. Wiggins, I don't know exactly what Wiggins would have given you against the, the Bucks' front court of Giannis, Lopez, um, Middleton, uh, Portis, those guys, I don't know what Wiggins would have gave you. He took advantage of matchups that worked in his favor against Boston. Would he have had those same matchups against Milwaukee? We're not. We, we're never going to know that if the healthy with uh, healthy Chris Middleton, with the Milwaukee Bucks have beaten Golden State, we're never going to know because it didn't happen. Golden State is the champions. We can't change that. Congrats to them. They earned it. But I do wonder what would have happened. And I like the Bucks' chances against Golden State. I like their chances against, and I hope we see it next year. Um, the Bucks have some work to do to get back. Uh, I, I hope they don't decide to make a, a drastic move and move a Holiday or a Middleton to kind of overreact. I think you just have to fine-tune the supporting pieces around those three because here's the thing. The Bucs have not lost an NBA playoff series with a healthy Holiday, Middleton, and Giannis on the floor. They've not lost an NBA playoff series. They lost to Boston without Middleton. If Middleton plays and he's healthy, I think the Bucs win. 
If Middleton plays and he's healthy against Miami, I think the Bucks win. If Middleton's healthy against Golden State, I think the Bucks win. But now we just have to maybe wait till next season and see what happens. And hopefully the Bucks are back. And I hope Golden State is back. And it'd be a, a great NBA Finals matchup between the Bucks and Golden State. So, like I said, hopefully we get that next year. Packer OTAs are done. Um, one kind of sad, and I and I. So, yesterday Packers let uh, popular player Kent Ben Kurt uh, go. They released him. I'm sure it was probably mutual. Ben Kurt probably knows he's not going to get a chance to compete for the number two job in Green Bay. And he's not, I don't think they can put him on the practice squad again. I, I, I don't know for sure, but I don't think they can. And, you know, you let him go now, and there's quarterback needy teams out there who need a possible number two. Um, the quarterback situation in Atlanta is awful. Um, you know, there's options out there for Ben Kirk to try to latch on and maybe earn some playing time. And am I, is he an NFL starter? No. But could he be an NFL starter for a, a bad team like Atlanta? Potentially. You know, as they bridge the gap between what they have now and maybe looking at quarterback next year in the first round, I like Ben Ben Kurt. He he was he, you know he was great for the fans. He loved Green Bay. He loved his time in Green Bay, and it's sad to see him go. I get it. I I'm not crying that you know they let him go from a player perspective, but I like the person. I like what he brought Green Bay, and sometimes we can like the play like the person and understand that they just weren't a very good player. And I wish him best of luck. But what I, I kind of get annoyed by is the people celebrating that they released them on social media because they were annoyed the fans liked them. Yeah, I get it. He's a below average NFL player. Maybe that's giving him too much of a benefit. But he was a likable guy and he loved his time in Green Bay. He interacted with the fans. He bought in immediately with with the quick trips and the going to barbecues on the holidays uh, when he first came to Green Bay. And he's a man of the people. And it, it's okay to root for those guys. <clears throat> I don't understand the, you know, I'm annoyed about it type uh, things that pop up with it. But best of luck to Ben Kurt. And with the OTAs over, and I think I'm glad that we're not going to have to listen to any more, why isn't Aaron Rodgers there? drama because I don't care that Aaron Rodgers was in an OTAs. Him being in OTAs or not isn't going to matter. The, the non-mandatory. They're they're optional and the NFL is different. I, I've i heard people on uh, sports talk. I've heard fans complaining about guys not being at the optional OTAs and the guys in the 90s were there and the 80s were there. The game was different then. It's a different game now. Guys Guys are working out year-round, nonstop, no matter where they are. You know, guys aren't sitting on their ass working second jobs in the offseason like they were in the 50s, 60s, and 70s because they weren't making enough money in the NFL at the time to be able to support themselves, so they had to work second jobs. Guys aren't doing that anymore. They're being paid good money that they're working their butts off. The majority of the guys are coming back every training camp, every OTA, in great shape. And I don't care if guys aren't showing up to optional practices. They, they, they can practice where they're at in California or Arizona or Florida, Texas, wherever they live in the off season, they can work out there. I'm fine with that. It, it, it's fine. And I don't care that, you know, Aaron Rodgers was missing potential reps with his 
um, rookie receivers, the rookie receivers need to focus on learning the offense. And, they, you know, Rodgers would be there in training camp. He was there for the mandatory OTAs. That's plenty of time for him to get comfortable with them. Right now they have to learn the offense and learn it quickly because they're going to have a lot of expectations this season early on. So I'm excited for training camp, excited to see what the Packers can do this season with the defense and the running game, um, and we'll see. And then finally, the WWE. Vince McMahon is in hot water. Apparently there was a some money and an NDA, non, non-disclosure agreement, and $3 million thrown around that the WWE's board of directors is investigating to determine if Vince, you know, Vince McMahon broke any laws or whatnot. Apparently he paid somebody 3 million hush money to keep a, a sexual relationship uh, silent. And a lot of, you know, and I've seen fans talking about how, Oh, it's a work. It's a work. And all these things. No, it's not a work. It is not a work. This is truly happening. The WWE board of directors would not be risking a 3% drop in stock price since this news came out on the New York Stock Exchange for to, to put up a, a work. Um, Stephanie McMahon would not take over a CEO if this was a work. Vince McMahon's in hot water. And the question is, is this going to mark his final days as board of director? I know he temporarily stepped down as this investigation is taking a uh, route. I, I wouldn't be surprised if Stephanie stays in that CEO role um, uh, long-term. But Vince McMahon tried to play it off yesterday uh, in, on SmackDown in the ring, then, now, forever, whatever the, you know, the WWE slogan is, kind of taking a shot at this investigation, stating that was his way of saying, don't believe it. I ain't going to, this isn't going to bring me down. I'm here forever. That's basically what Vince McMahon was saying yesterday when he's when he gave the WWE slogan that they have, then, now, future, forever, whatever. That's Vince McMahon basically giving the middle finger to those that are thinking that this could bring him down. And then I'm hearing people like shocked that, oh my God, can you believe this news from Vince McMahon? If you watched WWE, WWF at the time in the mid to late 90s and early 2000s, you're not going to be surprised the fact that behind the scenes he's potentially having affairs and paying people money to to not talk about it, things like that. The stuff that he was willing to do on camera, I know it's acting and it's part of the show, but the things he was willing to do on camera, I'm supposed to be surprised that off camera he was doing some of the same stuff. No, I'm not surprised at all. I'm surprised it took this long for it to kind of become public. Um, Just like the steroid scandal in the late 80s, early 90s. You know, Vince McMahon is in for uh, another battle of his life to keep this company and stay in charge and we'll see what direction they want to go. So with that said, thank you all for watching. Thanks again for all the support. Um, Happy Father's Day to all the fathers out there. Um, I'm mentally preparing myself for, you know, my first Father's Day without my father. So those that their fathers are still there, take, you know, take advantage and Spend the day as much as you can uh, honoring them and spending time with them. If you can't spend time with them, make sure you give them a phone call. Uh, But with that said, uh, I'm going to be 
um, bringing you shows weekly, sometimes twice weekly, um, giving my thoughts and my takes on sports, uh, love it or hate it. I am who I am. I'm, I, I feel, I believe I, I give my thoughts, uh, object, you know, objectively, I can take a step back and, um, I can criticize when it needs to be done, even if you don't think so. But with that said, I'll get back at you next week. And if you're looking for something to do later tonight, or if you're in Racine, Horlick Field, the Racine Raiders are taking on the Midway Marauders, the M3. Should be a great game. It's also going to be available on the Racine Raider YouTube page with yours truly bringing you the play-by-play. I will talk to you all later.